So then he goes into talking about what does this mean, mind only. So he talks about how we tend to think that maybe that means, this view means that only the mind is real, that nothing else is real. We can think of the phrase, mind only, as saying the mind is the only thing we need to worry about. And if we think about it this way, we can suddenly discover a very profound teaching about the nature of our own subjectivity. That's what he says right there at the bottom of that second paragraph. I can't pronounce these words. Mostly I can't either, which is why I don't even try a lot of them. <laughs> Although I, I practiced privately, and I actually had said, <laughs> where was it? I felt so proud of myself. So I'm not going to say that when I get there. But now I don't. Dhamma, see, I had it earlier. Dhamma kapapatana. Dhamma kapapatana. Dhamma kapapatana. Something like that. Yes. Sam dir nir mokana. Sam. I'm just going to go underneath it. What does that mean? Sam dir nir nir mokana sutra. Where are we? Page eight in the middle, first paragraph, second sentence, towards the end. Summon the sutra, the name of that sutra. Sambhinir Mokana? Sambhinir Mokana? Then he points out in the third paragraph, in his by the way way, he says we can see an important analogy between the third turning and certain second turning texts in Vimalkirtanadisa, uh, which I don't believe is the right sutra. And the question is, how do we now see if um, Anand was here? He was here last week, and he would just say, just own it, just say it with confidence as if you're saying it right. <laughs> well, we don't ever study Pali, so. Yeah, yeah we're not going to say your Pali's horrible tonight. Like <laughs> But he's telling us we should be studying the Pali, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we are studying these ideas, just not the language. Not the language. Fair enough. <laughs> Sanskrit, Tibetan, and Lakota. I learned all three of those in different forms in one year. I think I can put Pali aside for that. Yeah. How do you pure so so that so what's the connection? What's the analogy? So um, in the sutra, when the question is asked, how do you purify a Buddha field? The answer is that you purify the mind. So if I want to make the world I experience into a world of pure Buddha action, I don't do that by transforming anything outside of myself. I do that just by transforming myself. And how I look at things. This was an interesting concept for me, right? Because then at the same time, I also know that I live in a world that I do want to change, right? So does that mean that I stop advocating, that I stop, right? Well, no. That's different from me getting randomly angry because some person stepped in front of me in line and I'm positive they did it purposefully for me, so I'm going to take my sword out and cut their head off. No. Right? That's different than that. I know. <laughs> I don't think that's going there. I'm a world of extremes, my friend. <laughs> transform how I look at the world and be okay with the fact that some people don't eat. 
right? I can't just transform how I look at the world and be okay with the fact that some people don't have a home or clothing. I can't transform myself to ever make those things okay. So I, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. But right? maybe it's also talking about the way we relate to how we act upon the world. In terms of like maybe the energetics behind our actions or the the mind behind the actions and maybe the clarity or the calmness of the mind that is acting to make the world say a better place for housing or food security or those issues. Now we're back in the first turning, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> right, the eightfold path, and they're not like mutually exclusive as we not were saying, all. but kind of tied together. Yeah, I like it. Well, and then of course, Lama's given us this example many times. The very, very bottom of page eight, where Santi Davis says, "The world is covered with thorns and rocks. It's really painful to walk on. I could cover the whole world with leather, or I could just put on a pair of shoes. Right? I could just cover my own feet." my experience rather than trying to transform everything else. And even in transforming my experience of how I see people that are hungry or homeless or suffering in some way, transforming the experience to see that there might be something that I can do about it rather than just feeling helpless, right? Mm -hmm. And that might come in the form of inspiring others, but so there is some transformation that goes on there as well, isn't there? Well, it's funny too because um I don't know, there's like so much judgment layered into who we, it's okay to feel really compassionate towards too. Like, I would say most of point. the people like- Like in, CEOs who are suffering, we're not yeah. like in our mind reaching out to them. Right. right, like it's okay <laughs> to think of someone who we think of as in a lower position than us or something. And then if it's like, even if it's President Trump, like he's probably, I would imagine, suffering, suffering a lot. lot. Right. Unless he's in like being, he could be. Or, you know, like people I see in tabloids who are like, oh, this person just got divorced and cheated on, and like, yeah. now they have to promote this movie, and everyone asks them about it. Like, I don't feel that same thing for them. It's just funny how it. Right. Yeah, it isn't it interesting. Because yeah. if we could, right? Because these CEOs that are grasping so hard at these high compensation packages that got to hoard that wealth, these people on Wall Street, maybe we should have. I mean, honestly, over time, I've come to see them as more damaged than others. Mm -hmm. And their level of damage and the way they've chosen to deal with it, some people deal with their damage by hiding under their covers. Some people deal with their damage by drinking. Some smoke stuff. Other people hoard money. And some of those people cause because of their suffering and because they need to hoard money so badly. And once I framed it like that, it became easier to have compassion for them because if they could heal themselves, maybe they wouldn't need to hoard money like that anymore. Maybe they wouldn't need to hurt people the way they do anymore. Maybe like their uh, Bill Gates or Warren Buffett who provide a lot of resources right. for other people. Sure. So there, there's a growing number of people who are of extreme wealth who are totally. putting in commitments to share a large portion of that wealth with uh, people 
absolutely. A lot of those folks went directly to the president, our last president anyway, and begged him to please tax them more, yeah. right? And this next one gave him a break. <laughs> That's funny. But, yeah, no, I'm with you. There are a lot. Mr. Buffett and, and, and Mr. Gates have made very substantial commitments, yeah. very substantial commitments of their assets for, um, and, and Mrs. Gates has really done a lot. However, Mr. Bezos uh, is on another planet. Yeah. Right, they all, they all have their things, right? And there's good and bad everywhere. Maybe Bill Gates isn't, maybe he's not suffering in that way. You know, he's kind of reached a place where it feels really good to be generous. And, totally. And he wants to, to do that, and he understands that maybe a greater reciprocal relationship. And, and maybe the Bill Gates that when he was 30 didn't understand that. <laughs> so maybe he did so the Microsoft just sort of crack. fell into his lap Microsoft. Right? Yeah, no what I'm saying is I think Bill Gates like there was a trajectory in his inner growth oh yeah uh, the, the Microsoft and the antitrust Microsoft practices of the of the 90s are not that's not the Bill Gates of today and it's really nice right. to see him yeah. grow and, and, and his co-developer Paul Warren or Paul Allen yeah. Yeah. and he's made similar kinds of commitments. Yeah, so it's really nice to yeah. see that happen. Warren Buffett bought up the Pacific Core dams specifically because he wanted to tear them down. He fought with the federal government for years. Those dams were up for relicensure. I did a federal tour over here in California. Those dams were up for relicensure, and because they create electricity, he had a hard time getting permission to tear them down. Ten years it took, but they're coming down. They have a plan now. They haven't started yet, but they have a plan. And what's also interesting is, I very specifically said some. Some CEOs hoard, yet it's really easy for us to mm -hmm. just make the leap that maybe you were talking about all, right? No, I think that is kind of accurate. It's just that we idolize these specific billionaires that we're talking about. Or so we, we stereotype them, them all together. Right. Right. Like Even when someone says go. some, we hear all. Yeah. <laughs> right? and that's a, we're just stuck in divisiveness. Because there's some like. that we've decided are bad. Like, like most of us have decided Bezos is, you know, like he's gotten bad press recently, and I guess getting divorced makes him a bad person or something too, I don't know, but you know, he's gotten all these when bad you villainize things. someone, you just keep villainizing him. <laughs> yeah, it's That's just like anything. But he does in his personal life. But yeah, but he's not, you know, that right livelihood thing under ethical conduct, right? Creating a livelihood that isn't damaging to others. And on one hand, he's helping, right? I mean, so many people have access to so many things that they never would have had access to before. It's really Yet amazing. the amount of plastic and cardboard in the system now is unbelievable. And not treating the employees that got you there well isn't a very good practice. Mm. So transformation of self rather than transformation of others, because I certainly can't transform all those other people. But I can certainly shift how I look at them. It's really gotten difficult for me. You know, I had a, a little personal, but I had an experience the last couple of years uh, where I came to more personally understand the depth of the impact of trauma and PTSD. And in seeking the healing for myself so that I could find balance again, what I came to see was that 
in some form or another, I firmly believe most, if not all, beings on this planet are traumatized. Certainly there's different levels, right? Yeah. But trauma is trauma is trauma, and it's going to impact us in how we walk in the world. Some's going to be more severe than others. So what's my point? That whole notion of that there are some people that are easier to have compassion for than others, right? It became real easy for me to practice compassion more regularly, even with people I never would have practiced it with before. After experiencing what it's like to have a trigger happen and not be able to stop myself from acting a certain way. I mean, it was like watching a movie, right? Mm -hmm. Me out of control, being watched by me going, whoa, look at me out of control, <laughs> and not being able to stop it, mm -hmm. right? It's just made it a lot easier for me. I'm not always good at it. I still get snarky. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not perfect, as we've seen tonight. Yet it makes, it does make my life a lot easier. I don't get angry as people. I find myself explaining to people how I can possibly have compassion for that person a lot. But that's okay too. Maybe it opens up their life a little bit. It's very hard for me to have compassion for my the neighbor in the back backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> I, mean, the, I know what you're talking about. That they is hard. built this uh, uh, whatever, whatever they call them, paragate or whatever, and they put electricity in there and they have parties practically every night and they play this music that go boom, 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 and I want to go out and say nice, pleasant things to them. <laughs> like late at night? Uh-huh. Like oh, late? Yeah. Yeah. But So what's happened? The police don't do anything? I mean, like, there's no... I know, there's, I'm the only person who would complain. What? Just call a lot. The more you call, the more they'll come. Right. You need to get noise-canceling noise headphones. Yeah, but there's little plugs you can put in. But it is yeah. unfortunate to think that you would have to, well, transform your world to put well, up that's with that. <laughs> well, that's exactly my point, is that in terms of transforming myself to say, you know, to be able to shut that out right. and, you know, in, in a transformative experience. And it's a challenge. Totally. Well, because yeah. even with the headphones, the house yeah. is still going to vibrate. Yeah. From the heavy base, right? Yeah. You're still going to feel yeah. it. I, I don't think, though, that like the, as we transform ourselves, we get to a point where things don't bother us or, or we're not acting. I think there is a point on the path where it is the time to pick up the phone mm -hmm. and call the police and say, these guys are violating the noise ordinances repeatedly mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah, I think that's part, part of it. <laughs> and, and the reason they can do it is there, there are two positions. One works at night and one works at the day. So they always have somebody there for they're taking care of their children that's away. And so it's... Yeah, but they need to be mindful of their neighbors, too. I mean, there yeah. are... You're in Elk Grove. You're not in Sacramento, so I don't know the specific ordinances. I'm I have no the But there are noise ordinances in Elk Grove as well. And if they're doing that past 10 o'clock at night, you can shut them down just like that. You just gotta make a phone call. But yeah, anyway, transform. Poor Michael. <laughs> that, that really sucks. 
I know. <laughs> totally sorry. Because I like I never want to say anything to neighbors either. It's so awkward. It is awkward. Neighbors, yeah. Especially yeah. if you own. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just somebody that's just yeah. playing yeah. The, 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 the guy who lives on, on the opposite side of the court. He opens the garage, front garage door and the back garage door, and he turns up the volume of his music so I can't have my front door open to the breeze because he's oh, playing his, and his, his stuff. Wait, yeah, he's but on a, both sides? Yeah. But the guy across the street, I can walk over and you know, say, hey, Tony, can you turn it down a little bit? Oh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. 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 However, the people behind me are not accommodated. Yeah. Have you ever met them? Huh? Yeah. I, I rescued their dog once. Oh, well, never again will you do that. No! <laughs> no, I will always Have you ever them told them that it bothers you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and they don't care. Yeah. And the, the guy just said, well, it's, my, we have this, we did this backyard and, you know, we have the right to enjoy it. No, mm -hmm. you no, you don't actually. Sorry. <laughs> yes, not the expense of others. Right. Not breaking the law after the time when you're allowed to be really loud. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's Aww. hard. It's hard to deal with. Hmm. We're here for you, Michael. <laughs> We're all together. <laughs> Field trip next week. Oh. <laughs> hey guys, we're on the bonus class. <laughs> We're going to meditate, we're going to talk about ideas, and we're going to talk to your neighbors. Yeah. And we're going to say, <laughs> 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 yeah, having compassion is very difficult. It yeah. is, and that, oh my that's god. Like, that's where yeah. the rubber meets the road. It's not, no longer theoretical there. Yeah. yeah. That's See, like, and then where I go yeah. is, <laughs> yeah. who did something to this person that made them so shallow and so unconscientious? they wouldn't be sensitive to someone else's needs, especially if they're a physician, right? That's, that's a twisted thought process right there. I don't know. I feel bad for that person because they just feel, how can you connect to people truly if you're okay hurting someone that's told you, this is bothering me? And your response is, I have a right to bother you. <laughs> that just sounds well, like Well, maybe that is really... What I mean, no. Right, and he may believe that, and that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Thing. Someone to have that attitude, no. that something happened. Yeah, to he person. expressed that when I made comments to him. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That he could be that. Yeah, he has a right to do callous. Just tells me that. And I don't want to get involved in calling the no. law enforcement to come and knock on their door. But they won't necessarily know it's you. I mean, they'll probably suspect because you're the only one maybe who said something. But yeah. well, the way your backyards are configured, I can see where you would get the bulk of it too. Yeah, I mean, others might not be as bothered as you Because the fence is about ten feet from from my bedroom door, and their new thing that they put outside is about five feet from there. So they can be like they're about fifteen feet from me trying to sleep. Your karaoke machine over here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that sounds hard. That sounds really hard. Yeah. It makes me sad that people can be so self centered that they wouldn't mind no, that they would really I mean, To me, I mean, that's the challenge of this. Yeah. yeah. For me, that, that's a good one for you to practice on then, yeah. honestly. <laughs> that's a really good one for you to practice on. I feel like we need a neighbor support group. There's a know. lot of people bringing up neighbor problems. <laughs> I, I totally, totally co-lead that circle. <laughs> <laughs>
That'd be a tough one. Okay. The only thing you need to worry about is your mind and the fact that you can only transform your mind. So it doesn't matter if your neighbors throw balls in your yard all the time and their dog jumps over your face. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a really hard circle to lead. Enlightenment for all living beings except for my neighbor on the left. And my ex-boss. Yeah. <laughs> or I have a favorite person in my life who's a little on the violent side. Oh, whoa. La, 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 la. You're not you supposed do? to tell people I'm violent? No. It <laughs> has nothing to do with you. I know, I'm just teasing. <laughs> very short marriage. <laughs> very short marriage. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, my, oh, we are way off track. Alright, let me get caught back up with where we are. So we're putting on shoes because the world is thorny. Let's see. What is the other one on here? Oh, we're going to talk about the three different kinds of emptiness and the three different ways phenomena exist. So what triggers this conversation? A bodhisattva whose name I cannot, yeah, cannot pronounce says to the Buddha, Hey Buddha, you've said these things that seem to me to be contradictory because you've said that sometimes things have the nature of arising from causes and conditions, that sometimes things have the nature of having these particular kinds of characteristics, and sometimes you say things are empty of any nature at all. What are you talking about? It sounds like you're being inconsistent. And so the Buddha explains that there are three natures that phenomena have, three naturelessnesses, or three kinds of emptiness. They kind of, and they all pair up. So he goes through now some examples to of existence are the imagined nature, page nine, about halfway down the page, the dependent nature, and the consummate nature. And these pair up with emptiness with respect to characteristics, emptiness with respect to production, and ultimate emptiness. So he uses a cup. I'm going to grab my clock. This one took me a minute. Um, so we see this clock, right? We'll talk about how right here in front of us, I can see that it's black, that it's kind of shiny. If I hit the light, it kind of lights up. I can use a little flashlight, so double-purpose clock. Um, Buddy says, like fifth paragraph, yeah. But he says, after further reflection, if we look at it, if we think about it, we know that's wrong. Right? That I'm not really 
experiencing this clock as much as it's just light that's bouncing off my eyes and going into my brain and you know that it's that it's nerve impulses that are experiencing this clock of my life now. Nerve impulses that go into my optic nerve, right? That all this stuff has to happen in order for me to experience the cup. There's not actually a cup in my brain, right? Or clock, excuse me, I keep reading that. It's just, <coughs> I can see the clock and experience the clock, but it's all mental. It's mind only. Right? It's the imagined nature of the cup. Right? That's that first imagined nature which links up with emptiness of characteristic. I like the last sentence of the second paragraph on the bottom. So whatever's happening in my brain. Yes! <laughs> I don't have a cup. I mean, it's statement of the great term Yeah. Yeah. Whatever's happening in my brain, I don't have a cup in there. The cup's not, or a clock. It's not penetrating my skull. It's just a bunch of complicated brain activity that's allowing me to imagine the nature of this cup. nature of the clock, its imagined nature, which corresponds with emptiness with respect to characteristics. So the clock is empty of all those characteristics I talked about, right? Yet they're all there. I experience them in my mind. I experience the blackness, I experience the shininess, I experience the light. Okay, the numbers. But really, they're empty, right? Form is empty, empty is form. But we can also say that this clock is dependent upon countless causes and conditions. So along with its imagined nature, it has a dependent nature. I can imagine the clock and how it functions and works, and I can read the numbers and tell the time. It's imagined nature, but the physicalness of the cup, that's its dependent nature. Right? It's dependent nature that is the result of causes and conditions. This is the emptiness in terms of its dependence. I had to read this section many, many times. <laughs> and I have a philosophy degree. <laughs> I feel like I should have gotten it quickly. <laughs> I struggle with it every time I've studied it. See, for me, it finally started I'm like, like what? Imagine, my imagination is in my mind, right? So the 
thoughts of how it's going to work, what it looks like, how I experience it, that's all in my imagination. But the fact that it exists, that's its dependent nature, because it is dependent on the hard causes and conditions and the people coming together that made the plastic and everything. Am I only saying that somewhere, or are you page combining 10. the other? No, page 10, we're now into the second nature of things, right? The first nature was the anatomy. third paragraph down. <laughs> yeah, the it, it, next Depends paragraph down. Depends on the down. countless causes and conditions. Many are which not made up. Which I don't know if this is talking, if we're still in mind-only school. We're just in the third, the third term. is all mind-only. Is all mind-only? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so, this corresponds to the second emptiness of the cup. Yes. What you're talking about, right? Characteristic right. nature. The characteristic emptiness, right? The emptiness in terms of causality, the emptiness in terms of dependence. Yes. Yeah. So he's saying these are the three emptinesses that the mind-only school the three natures believes in. And three emptinesses that, that all schools ultimately believe in. Well, the first one we're saying that it's merely imagined sounds like there's nothing out there at all. Like, I'm there's, not really here. It sounds like there's nothing in our brain that's experiencing the clock. The clock is there. But we're not physically experiencing the clock in our mind. We're experiencing the clock with our mind, right? When we think of clock. Like mind only. It's not saying like the cup is mind, right? That's what they mean. It's saying the process of experiencing yeah. the cup happens in your mind. Mm -hmm. I have, you could, I The cup is not mind, mind, mind is Seriously, not every time <laughs> I study it, I'm like, what? It doesn't make sense to me. I can't get it. I can. I will. Someday. Maybe. <laughs> the second turning, I'm like, yes, yes, that one makes so much sense. <laughs> the first one too, actually. It's an imagine. It's merely an imagined nature. That's something that I project because all I immediately experience is an image and a name, right? So when you first see it, you're first labeling it. That's the experience of the imagined nature. Because it's all in your mind. Like the naming and the labeling is all in your mind. Yeah. And then when we move on to the characteristic nature, well, in a sense, that's all in our mind too, right? Other than the physicalness of the beat, the, the thing, the object, the physicalness of this clock, all of the characteristics of the clocks has names that we labeled it, right? So even that is empty. The characteristics of the clock are empty. And that, um, that is related to the emptiness of its characteristics, which matches up with the imagined nature of the cup. So that's all the first level, right? then we go down to the third paragraph about the dependent nature. And the dependent nature is referring to its emptiness in term of dependence, and that's all about the physicalness of it, right? 
It depends on causes and conditions to exist in a physical way. There's a risk. So water is fixing itself. I'm there hoping it's goes. fixing itself. <laughs> and the water is empty. No. <laughs> and it's dependent upon time. <laughs> I have a feeling that if we all do some karmic work next week, it'll all, it'll work. I think it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Michael doesn't buy it. <laughs> well, we're certainly giving it a lot of uh, latitude. You're doing a good job, Pam. It's super confusing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Well, I, was, I had it for a second, then it flipped out of my brain again. Because we started I, talking about water. <laughs> no, I no because I think I I misstated something, and I wanted to see if I was moving. Because it's still the cup I experience is causally dependent, whereas the cup that I take or deposit is empty of all these phenomena. Right, I keep thinking I'm experiencing these external objects when really I'm experiencing something that arises due to all of the causes and conditions, which also includes the light in the room, my ability, the ability of my brain to think about it, right? So staying in the fact that our, our mind is still responsible for creating these things in the way that we know them, whether we're talking about its imagined nature or its dependent nature, which correspond with its empty characteristics and empty dependence. <laughs> this, I'm, now I'm trying to figure out how to get the third one to make sense without <laughs> flittering in and out of my brain. So now we're at the consummate, consummate nature, the final nature of the cup. We read that the consummate nature, the final nature of the cup, is that the dependent nature is empty of the imagined. So what we now say is that experience of the a cup or clock that depends on all of these conditions is empty of that imagined external clock. The dependent cup, clock in my mind is empty of subject-object duality. It's not separate from me. It's empty of externality because it's being conceptualized in my brain. And that makes less sense to me now than it did when I said it to myself earlier when I was practicing what I was going to say about this part. So we say that, I'm just going to read the bottom of this last, what would have been three paragraphs, four paragraphs down, last three sentences. The ultimate emptiness of our experience is that even though we always take our experience to be constituted by something outside of us, if we pay attention to science or Buddhism, what we see is that what we experience is just our experiences. It's just all in our mind. And so where does this come in handy? That irritating person that's coming at me. Well, when I start to realize that that irritation is created in my mind, just like the clock was created in my mind and the cup was created in my mind, 
I can start to experience that differently. I can sort of redirect myself. Why am I seeing this person as irritating, right? I can start asking myself questions to soften my need to go back to that person and throw a little hand grenade at the karaoke machine, <laughs> right? Hey, there's a solution for you, Michael. Non-violently, of course. He's saying like, it's, it's not even outside of you. Like that annoying person is not somehow separate. Right. It's all in our mind. Right. We've made up their annoyingness. To somebody else, what they're saying in that moment might be the sweetest thing they've ever heard on the planet. But I'm interpreting it as... Yeah, but what, I, yes, and when I read it, though, but we've also made it up ourselves. So I thought it was just kind of like, in some ways, much more simple. It's like it would, like we would just be kind of almost part of a larger, dependent and empty kind of interchange. Right, making us all one. Right? Yeah, moving those in, in boundaries. A sense. Yeah. The person I experience is not external to me. The experience of the person is mind only. Hmm. I can't change the person. The only thing I can change is my mind. What am I thinking about myself or someone else or whatever it is, right? It's all in my head. That's pretty scary if you've ever been in my head. <laughs> but it's, you know, for me, it's incredibly comforting. Karma pissed me off at first. I'll be truthful about that, because there were things in my lifetime I didn't want to think about ever having brought on myself. But then the minute I could let go of that, right, that me that got wrong, and wrap my head around the fact that, wait a minute, that's actually quite empowering now, isn't it? Because back in those other lifetimes, when I did whatever it was I did, I, I was clueless. Right? I'm not clueless anymore. I never have to find anything remotely resembling a seat like that again. That's powerful for me. Changed everything. And gives me more of that ability that Mama encourages us to do. When something bad happens, party! <laughs> that seed never has to ripen again. <laughs> right? That made that a whole lot easier right. for me. And that's all in here. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, I don't climb under the covers nearly as much as I used to. <laughs> Scary world out there. No, it's not. It's all in my head. I like the last sentence. Mm. Which one? Which page? So on the last page. So my final message is this. If all Buddha, Vekana, first turning, second turning, third turning is important, open the books and read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like no osmosis learning. Like, yeah, like, like learn to read the book. <laughs> Why do you think I decided I had to find everything he referred to and find a link? That's why he wrote this. It would be inappropriate to me to share this with other students and not make sure they can get the readings, right? Because he is so devoted. That yeah, I this this was a mind blowing experience for me and chewy, right? Very very chewy. Um, okay, so then where do we go? Oh wow, wow! How did it get to be eight twenty one?
<laughs> it's funny, like 20 minutes ago, I was like, we'll never fill the time. <laughs> See, shifted that karma. Uh, well, I was going to close with a little bit of a meditation, but maybe we won't have time. We'll see. We'll get a quick one in. But... So let's wrap this up a little bit. So, uh, bottom of page 10. So I'm suggesting we drop the whole Niartha and Nitakta distinction, the idea of definitive text. Yeah, so pretty much he's leading up to Michael's sentence. Read! Just read! <laughs> it's funny because I have nothing highlighted in this except for the sentence that says, when we show respect for Sangha, it's a wonderful thing to prostrate and to stand when our teachers enter the room, but to show respect for a teacher is actually to listen to what he or she says and to think about it, leading right into, yeah. if you're going to learn it, I think read that it. is just encapsulate everything. It's just Great, some great synopsis of the. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we've made it a little less fuzzy, except for that third turning, which <laughs> I think we get it. It's just hard to articulate. I mean, get it as much as we can for non non Buddhas yeah. as yet. Although I don't know, maybe all of you are Buddhas and you're just testing to see how well I'll do. That's what I do on Tuesday nights. <laughs> you just turn into a human and go check out classes. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be really fun. <laughs> Outed yet? <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, it's 8.23. We've got seven minutes. Let's take, let's just do a couple of minutes, just five maybe. Just a quick uh, bring it back home. <laughs> meditative experience. Thank you so much, all of you, for being here. Helping me read through this article that I've been waiting to read for a long time. Alright, find your happy spot. Wherever that is. Let's do those uh, five cleansing breaths, and then we'll just sit in the room for a few minutes. As you're listening to the sounds and the creaks and whatever you're listening to or the feels that you're feeling, as they work their way through your brain. Maybe make them into something they're not. See if you can find their emptiness. I know sometimes the hallway, people walking down the hallway when we meditate makes me think of the movies where the guy's coming to open the door. So just experience the emptiness of the time and space around us. Take a few deep breaths, and in five minutes, I'll ring the bell.
next week, Geshe Sultram will be here. And he'll be teaching through October, September. September, October, and August. He always brings.